Welcome back to the Kevin Carey Show here on Sports 1440. Brandon Douglas sitting in for Kevin as he enjoys uh, one more additional day off. He will be back in the host chair uh, tomorrow and Friday as we get ready for and then uh, recap Sharks and Oilers tomorrow night from the Shark Tank on the West Coast. Uh, carrying on through our best of edition of the Kevin Carey Show. Next up, we have a uh, very insightful and uh, emotional interview with our uh, regular Thursday co-host Ladislav Schmid uh, back in just his second week in the co-host chair um, here in the Stingray Studios. Uh, Laddie, uh, p- powered today by Cougar Paint and Collision, our family helping your family for over 40 years. CougarCollision.com uh, As Laddie opened up and spoke about uh, his uh, battle with addiction, going through recovery, and then uh, kind of coming out the other side to where we are at right now. Here is uh, Kevin and former NHL defenseman Ladislav Schmid. Laddie, we kind of touched on it last week a little bit, and you had to deal with some personal problems uh, in in the last little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of wanted to touch on that, and you said, "Yeah, let's talk about it." And yeah. um, so, if you kind of just want to, I guess, relate uh, to our listeners, you know, what you were going through and and how you got through things, and and what what happened, I guess. Uh, yeah, so I went through recovery uh, treatment. Uh, that's going to be almost over three months ago. I went to this place in uh, NBC, and uh, you know, prior to that, I I struggled with uh, uh, alcohol, alcohol addiction, and uh, drug addiction as well. Uh, for me, it was one was going the, with the other, but uh, yeah, you know, I I would throughout my throughout my whole life, I would you know go out once in a while, and you know drink and you know enjoy myself stuff like that and you know kind of uh like like all the other people you know Mm -hmm. i I thought there was no problem you know i played hockey and i always had hockey kind of like as my therapy and you know stuff happens over the span of your life uh you know divorce and ups and downs stuff like that you know stuff that happened uh in the childhood not like i had a horrible childhood but uh you know, mm-hmm. my, my I love my dad, but he could be pretty hard on me yeah. uh, growing up. So, you know, there was a lot of lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that I didn't talk about, I didn't really know about, and I was just pushing it down mm-hmm. and down. And you know, when you stop playing hockey, all the stuff that you were putting aside and like kind of repressing and pressing mm-hmm. down, and you know don't pay really any attention don't get help at uh, all that stuff was coming up for me and uh, you know the easiest way to d- deal with that was alcohol and drugs yeah. you know and uh, i'm not gonna go to super details but towards the end uh, you know it wasn't like i would be going out and partying and stuff right. like that i would be just drinking at home and yeah. you know uh, also occasionally do drugs and uh, but it would be like by myself in the basement, you know, I wouldn't be around other people. I would be just sad, feeling sorry for myself. And, uh, you know, it got so, it got so bad that, um, you know, I would, I would, I wouldn't sleep for like two, three days. Um, and, uh, you know, it caught up to me one day, uh, my family was visiting from Czech and, you know, I was kind of, I guess you can call it a bender, but yeah. at home bender, nobody would know. I would sneak around, I would hide stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they couldn't even tell, really. My wife busy with kids, and you know, my parents they maybe suspected something, but really, but uh, yeah, I 
we, me and my wife went for a dinner date and after we came back like she had no clue that I didn't sleep for like two yeah. days straight and uh, yeah I had a seizure uh, kind of watching Oilers play a game and yeah I was I had a seizure for like 10 minutes next to my dad and uh, my dad is 85 he almost had a heart attack and they thought I had stroke no like they had no clue so I woke up I woke up from my seizure and there was like firemen and paramedics standing in the middle of the room and I had no idea who I was, where I was. I didn't recognize the people around me. I was trying to fight them off me. Mm -hmm. Finally, they settled me down and like I didn't remember what happened. And then 45 minutes later in an ambulance, I kind of started to realize what happened and started to remember. And, uh, you know, so I was... At the ambulance, I was there by myself. And then my wife was driving to the hospital, and uh, uh, yeah, when I got there, I I, I just broke down. Uh, I was, you know, crying to her like I I just pour out everything, mm -hmm. all my feelings, and she was she was mad that I didn't tell her and what I was doing for you know like two three months. Uh, but she was also happy that I didn't die. I I was alive and finally realizing that I need help. And yeah, that's what I did. I, I reached out to the Oilers alumni. They hooked me up yeah. at the NHLPA and I picked this place in BC and I went there a week later. Uh, yeah, and I was probably the best thing and bravest thing I ever done because asking for help is not easy. Yeah. Um, you know, I was certainly wasn't raised like that. It was it wasn't really on the table to show your feelings, really. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but uh, all these insecurities and you know, like even throughout the playing career, like all the pressure and stress. And I, I know we get paid for it; yeah. so it's part of the job. And um, but yeah, I'm I'm I didn't realize I was an addict, you know. But I wish I could go out and have a couple of beers, but I can't. I can't stop it. Yeah. So I rather stay uh, sober. And yeah, but back to the story. I went to the treatment. I stayed there for forty days. Um, it was tough, especially first couple of weeks. It was it it was tough. Like weird talking about your feelings, about your childhood, about yeah. your career, and you know what you know what was happening throughout my life. Uh, I wouldn't change it, yeah. change anything. But uh, again, this might sound bad because I have everything anybody can ask for. You have beautiful, healthy family, you know, fairly secure. But there, there was this void in me. Mm -hmm. you know, all of a sudden, big part of I, I play hockey since four, and everything was hockey, hockey, hockey. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden, you, you don't have that, and um, it wasn't pretty. And, and honestly. I never believe in a higher power, but you know they they taught me that everybody should have kind of higher power, and I think that was my higher power, like slapping me across the face, mm -hmm. you know, having seizure and like wake up or you won't be around here. And uh, so I take it as my second chance. I, I'm not gonna be perfect, you know. I always had these unrealistic expectations about myself. Yeah, player, human being, coach. You know, if if I didn't succeed there, or you know, get up there to fulfill my goals, I failed, and I would feel like a failure. But that's unrealistic. You cannot be perfect, and I live my life that I have to be perfect. And it's something in my childhood that my dad yeah. trying to like push on me. But no, it's not realistic. And now I know that I'm I'm gonna screw up like everybody else, just a human being. I had a great career, but you know, it's over now. 
and I have to move on and I'm not gonna put all my stuff on higher power and God yeah. save me. Like I, I hold myself accountable. You know, I did that stuff. I did it to myself and thank God it didn't go on for a long time. Um, like I said, I'm in recovery, still dealing with a bunch of stuff, but I'm doing what I can, meetings, counseling, uh, talking more mm -hmm. with my wife, which might be very weird for her <laughs> now that I am sharing my feelings and how I feel. Uh, but I think I think uh, my family and my kids can see the difference because towards the end I was very, <clears throat> not not physically abused, yeah. abusing, but verbally I was, yeah. I was short patient, irritable. And they had no, especially my kids, like why is dad so grumpy and stuff? and. It broke my heart when they, even when I came back from uh, recovery, they were like, what changed, daddy? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, like you're, yeah. you're different. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, so I didn't want to go to the detail with them. Mm -hmm. You know, they're too small, they're eight. Uh, but I, I, you know, I said I struggle with alcohol and, you know, I, I need to get clean and get my uh, head clear. And, you know, hopefully daddy's gonna be a different person now. And I think they, they can see, you know, me in a different light and, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm so happy I went through it and now I'm, I'm sober. I, yeah, like I don't force it on anybody. Like if you want to go for drinks, like fine. I'm, I'm yeah. not there yet to go into the bars or like to the restaurants on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. You know, I can see people having drinks. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, there's, there's some days that, you know, my mind wanders mm -hmm. and I'm like, I wish I could like, you know, have just one or two, but yeah. I know it's not, it's just the addiction talking. Maybe you can have a one or two. Yeah. And then, you know, next thing you know, it's you're back in a, that dark, lonely place. And yeah, I don't want to go, go back there. Did you kind of know um, when you were going through all of this and not know in the sense that, I mean, you always had that support group. But how big was the support group that you had, whether it be friends and family, to help get you through this? Um, it's huge. It's like the support is, well, first, the, the number one thing is when, when you get to the recovery uh, center, they give you a list. They, why do you want to get sober? Mm -hmm. Who is it for? So I was putting family, like kids, my wife, my parents, and they're like, "Well, you can you can throw this in the garbage." It's like you have to be number one priority. You have to be selfish, and you you have to want this for yourself. If you if you want if if you don't want to do it for yourself, there won't be anybody else. Mm -hmm. You know so. Now I know I, I need to do this for myself. And uh, that was kind of like the biggest thing I learned there. Because always, oh, I have to do stuff for my kids. I have to do stuff for my wife. And always, and I was, I would put my own issues on hold. And now it's, you know, now I, once in a while I have to say no, you know, like I'm going to the meeting and, mm -hmm. uh, or I don't feel like doing this because I'm tired, uh, you know, so I have to, is I again, I wasn't really raised like that. Yeah, uh, you know, being it's not. I I would call it selfish, but it's not really selfish. Uh, self care and 
that self-love and it's very important and you know not to people not too many people know about it right i was always uh you know especially in the team like support your teammates be there for for one another but are you really there for yourself yeah. ever not really but now I, it's so it's it's okay and the support system is is huge uh first time i went to the aa meeting was at the at the at the treatment center and you know when you when you watch any movies and you see the AA meetings yeah. there, it's like oh my god, it's a bunch <laughs> of degenerates. But when I when I got there, it's like they're like intelligent, well-spoken people. They're laughing. They're happy that they're sober. It was nothing like you see in the movies, and mm -hmm. uh, it gave me hope. So I. I don't rely just on the meetings. I have my counselor, I have my wife, I have my friends. And honestly, there have been some tough times even even in uh, in sobriety, but it's your your worst sober day is not even as bad, not even close as bad as your best drunk day. Mm -hmm. You know, you you might at that moment you might feel like oh you feel great, but when it all wears off, it's it's awful. So I would take the even the bad bad sober days over the the hay days, and I I feel so much better. Not even mentioning yeah. how much better my body feels <laughs> because working out hungover every other day was was just a torture. And thanks thank God for my will. <laughs> that I battled through it, but it was awful. I probably shaved a few years of my life. <laughs> I can laugh at it now, but uh, it's not really a laughing matter because I know there's still people suffering like that. But uh, I can assure everybody there is hope. There's hope for everyone. You know, all you have to do, and I say all you have to do, it's, it's the hardest part, just ask for help, mm -hmm. you know, and all of a sudden, I was carrying this this rock, but when I asked for help, I knew I needed help for like a couple months, and I realized it, but I was so embarrassed because, again, I was raised like, you're the alpha male, you, yeah. you're the provider for a family, everybody re relies on you. So how, do, how am I gonna go to my tiny little wife and say all this stuff? How can I do that? How can I tell my 85-year-old dad that your son that you're so proud of what he accomplished that he is a drug addict and alcohol addict? How can I tell my my mom who's saint? He's done. She's done everything for me. Mm -hmm. Like she is truly the best person I, I will ever meet in my life. Um, and how can I how can I tell her that? Because they're gonna think that they failed me, but they didn't. You know I. It is what it is. I'm addicts, you know, it's a disease, you know, it's a disease and, uh, you know, I just have to deal with it and I was dealing with it the wrong way, but now I have the tools to deal with it the right way. But like I said, the higher power stepped in and, you know, I, it made me realize I have to change something or I won't be around. And I know if a lot of people say that, but I, I know deep inside that if I'm gonna slip back, there might be a, I don't think I have another recovery in me. Mm -hmm. I would really let myself down and uh, that would yeah. truly crush me. Well, again, um, inspirational and, and courageous for you opening up. You touched on that transition after the, you were done playing and every player goes through it, all of a sudden it's like, 
I'm not in the NHL anymore. I'm yeah. not, I don't. I don't have that lifestyle. I know many guys, like uh, even outside, that do in media has covered no. um, professional sports. Once they're done, now they're going the same thing. Like I don't have that uh, routine every day, and my team and the teammates. Yeah. Um, so that that was a tough transition. And and then, how did you kind of? deal with that because and then that's i guess when you turn to, to alcohol yeah i can only speak for myself but i can imagine there's more people like me there is a lot of a lot of that around but yeah like i mentioned it it was it was a void and i f- i felt bad that i felt that void meanwhile i come home and there is my beautiful wife three beautiful kids beautiful house and everything you want in your life I had but I still felt like emptiness inside I I know for me routine is a huge thing that's that's you know like why I go to the gym in the morning like I I write a journal and Mm -hmm. I read a book and if or I go to meetings zoom meetings and I do this I do that and I have the same routine pretty much every day and if something falls out once in a while, it can happen, but if it's if it would reoccur throughout the week, I know something's wrong, and I'm like, you know, cheating my recovery. That's a lot of Slav Schmid, boy. Um, powerful, inspirational. Um, it's not easy to open up all the time, and for Laddie to do this on the airwaves, for him to open up, I mean, you've helped people today. You, you might not know or feel that you helped someone and in, and maybe maybe it wasn't with an addiction but maybe it was something else that they're going through and they see a guy like yourself that can get through a tough time so you have helped people today just by your answer and just by talking about this that was Ladislav Schmid, our uh, regular Thursday co-host from 8 to 10 o'clock here on the Kevin Carey Show. Uh, getting uh, getting pretty raw, pretty uh, pretty open and uh, transparent with uh, with his journey from uh, following the wrap-up of his uh, playing career over in Czechia, where actually Laddie is uh, right now enjoying some time over the holidays. And we, uh, we hope you are enjoying your holiday time uh, if you're fortunate enough to have some uh, extra time off here to spend with your loved ones and uh, wishing you the best of the season in that. Uh, looking forward to having Laddie back uh, Starting next week, I do believe uh, Laddie will be back. So coming up next on our uh, rolling through the best of the Kevin Carey show, we'll have a double dip of Kelly Chase, a longtime NHL enforcer and teammate of our Tuesday co-host Grant Fear for a few years down in St. Louis. Uh, Kelly Chase coming up next here on the Kevin Carey show on Sports 1440. Welcome back to the Kevin Carrius Show here on a Wednesday morning, creeping up on 9.30 in the Capital Region, coming to you live from the Stingray Studios inside West Edmonton Mall, the best of edition of the Kevin Carrius Show. Brandon Douglas sitting in for Kevin as he uh, makes his way back from the homeland of Melville, Saskatchewan, where he spent a little extra time over the holiday uh, weekend here with his near and dear. Kevin will be back tomorrow and Friday as we uh, resume our more regular type programming here on the station but next up on our list of uh, best of interviews is a double dip of longtime NHL player and uh, 
one of the most intimidating enforcers of his era, Kelly Chase. Uh, Kelly sat uh, in on an interview with Kevin and our Tuesday co-host, uh, his former teammate, Grant Fuhr, earlier this fall. And uh, Kelly is brought to you by Snow Valley Ski Club. Uh, start your skiing journey at snowvalley.ca. Here is Kelly Chase. And we welcome in Kelly Chase, the former NHLer who elevated his game Quite a lot back in the day. Morning, Chaser. How are things? Things are great. Things are great. They're probably not as good as Fury's because he's already played five rounds of golf this week. But <laughs> other than, I mean, it's not that good, but it's good. <laughs> well, Grant, have you played five this week? No, actually, I spent the week out in Newfoundland, so no golf. <laughs> so you're just drinking all weekend. You weren't <laughs> <laughs> a little a little visit to the kids see my youngest out there for a little while and things you got to do yeah i was just saying chaser that grant the last time that grant was just saying you guys were in a golf tournament in Coeur d'Alene or where was it yeah Coeur d'Alene yeah he was uh they have a, they have an unbelievable uh uh <laughs> tournament out there a pro-am that they do which is it's like it, it's not only is it spectacular the nicest places you can be in the world and then on top of it all they they bring in some spectacular talent they've had adam levine darius rucker cheryl mm. crow uh give me give me some help here they got uh eddie, eddie better last year oh. eddie better uh, yeah earth wind and fire yeah, and yeah, it's been unbelievable and what they do and what they put on and the money they raised. And the crazy thing is, is a couple of years ago when I was going through my cancer little deal, um, they they suggested a doctor in Western, uh, in Western, uh, out, out West, because I was working there in the summer and I, and I said, listen, I was really hoping you guys would give me some, some advice on, on a doc that I could use somewhere out in the West that you think is a high, you know, high specialist. Uh, through this concierge medical thing we had and be damned if they don't suggest a doctor that gets up and makes the speech every year at the same tournament that we go to <laughs> and I'm like, they're like the guy goes well actually you already know him and I, I'm like no way so here we are we're raising money for this thing every year it turned out that uh, one of the benefactors happened to be yours truly and I was like <laughs> wow that's why we do it I guess Grant Fuhr Kevin Curious on Sports 1440 with Kelly Chase so Kelly, how is the health? Where are you at? Uh, hopefully, you're at 100. percent Can you uh, give no, us I'm an good. update? Yeah, I'm yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. We fears he knows. There's no germs that want to live in this body too long, so <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I've had uh, I've had a, I've had a really good reports lately, and um, and thankfully everything is turning out the way uh, um, we wanted, and and uh, back grinding and working and. And uh, you know, enjoying life and enjoying my kids, like like Grant said, just you know, it's funny. You know, when you're playing, you focus on. You get up in the morning on July one, say, and you know where you're going to be having dinner on February twelfth because you can look at the schedule and it'll tell you, oh, I'm in, you know, this place. I might be in Columbus or I might be in New York, and you know where you're going to go hang out because you love your places you love. And so you kind of know your schedule day to day to day. And then when you get done, you know, it becomes this, this whole thing of structure, you know, and, uh, and holy, like, what am I going to do with myself now? And then you start trying to look for those, those things in your life. And the one thing that I've found is the consistency that I've found is with my kids and being able to follow them around with hockey and, and be a part of, 
of watching them grow and go to college and mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah, but the what the consistency for me is I'm, I never leave that damn rink. Every time I turn around, I end up back in that place. <laughs> go so, ahead, Grant. It, it it's been good. Yeah. I gotta agree with Kelly. The one thing you retire is when you're playing. There's a set schedule. You know where you're supposed to be. There's you get up. You do the same thing every day. And you do it for, well, I was lucky enough, I get to hang around and do it for 20 years. And then as soon as I retired, I jumped right into coaching. So I get another bonus yeah. 10 years of having a set schedule. And then all of a sudden you're on your own. And it's, I kind of immersed myself in golf. So I gave myself my own set schedule. But now you just, it's fun to enjoy watching your kids grow up and seeing the great young people that they turn into. That's so true. I know it's funny, like we talk about the structure and, uh, you know, um, I've been lucky enough. I've been the chairman of that NHL Alumni Association uh, for for the last few years, and uh, Glenn Healy's done an unbelievable job of trying to immerse the alumni together and helping a lot of the benefits and some of the plans the older guys never got. And and uh, the one thing that we found that I found mostly with the guys in Jersey, I think you'll you'll attest to this because. You know, it's the same thing with me. I mean, I left the game after 13 years, and I went right into broadcasting. And then, you know, I think I had 158 flights my last year uh, with ESP. I mean, with uh, NBC NHL Network and the Blues when they won the cup and 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 it, and uh, in the season ended so late. I it was so such a great run, but the one thing that you miss is the guys. You don't you don't miss the game as much as you miss the guys. You miss that. You miss the Mark Bergevins in the locker room, the Jeff Cortnells in the locker room, the the guys that made you laugh, the guys that you just came and you just knew. Like you could pretty much you know around the room, you could pretty much know the humor was going to begin a half an hour before you went on the ice for practice, and it, and it was going to end an hour and a half after practice. And it was just like that, that part of the game is what you missed. You know, uh, you don't miss the competitive. I don't miss the competitiveness <laughs> until playoffs. And that's when I want to go out there and take a run at somebody again. But I, I don't, I don't miss it. Uh, the game as much as I miss the guys. Well, Oilers fans probably would like you in the lineup right now, Kelly, to get a little spark under this team. Kelly Chase, Grant Fuhrer, Played together in St. Louis for a few years. What about that time that you spent yeah. together, Kelly? Grant, you can kind of pony off each other. Must be some special memories. You had a great teams, great teams, and some really good high end talent. Uh, Kelly, you looked after those guys on the ice. It was a different time, different era, of course. But Grant Fuhrer is kind of coming in at the end of his career as well. What was it like to see a goaltender of Grant's stature come to St. Louis in the late 90s? Well, if you're so many, I tell this story all the time. But first of all, uh, you see, I played with Cujo when he was young, right? And he was just—he hadn't become the the mature goalie that he turned into, who you know mm-hmm. who belongs in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I, but I never played with a better goalie at a, at a period of time than I played with Grant. You talk, you may, you may think because of his age that that. That that was like, oh, could be, you know, that's a stretch or what? I tell everybody that. I mean, it was, it was awesome, and the knowledge of Grant's demeanor sometimes can be deceiving because he's so easygoing and happy-go-lucky. <laughs> but it can be deceiving, like even at practice, his knowledge of 
Like he knew where Brett Hall was shooting from certain places on the ice all the time. And if he wanted to be lazy, he could just, okay, I'm going to wait till he just about pulls the trigger and I'm just going to step over into that lane. Cause I, <laughs> Cause Brett would shoot at the same place in certain spots of the ice every day. And he did it purposely so that when he got the puck in those places in a game, it was going automatically into that spot and goalies didn't stop him. I mean, make no mistake. He, he to me, is the best goal scorer I've ever seen, okay, mm-hmm. I've ever seen in hockey. But Grant understood where he was shooting and why he was shooting there in certain times of the game. You know, so he still tried to, I want to keep my game to a point where I'm going to try and react to the shot even though I know it's going there rather than just step over just before he shoots and let it hit him. Now, when he did that once in a while and he would laugh at Holly, Holly didn't say nothing. He'd just go in the corner because they knew what each other were doing. Highly intelligent hockey sense. Now, Fierzy did have a competitive side too because I tell this story to everybody. We're playing in Phoenix and we're down in a series and he lets in a shitty goal. <laughs> and so... We say shitty on your air. Yeah, show. you're fine. Go yeah, ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway, damn right we can. Betcha. So, anyway, um, so he lets in a bad goal and come in. And, you know, Fierzy doesn't talk, by the way, either. He's got that squeaky <laughs> little voice of his, and he goes, listen up, guys. <laughs> and we're kind of, we're like, holy, you know, he talks. <laughs> and uh, he goes, uh, that goal is on me. You guys win this game. This is in St. Louis in game six. Now, we've been down game three games to one in this series. You guys win this game tonight. I don't lose game seven. So, <laughs> we're like all looking around like, okay, we come back and we win the game in game six. We come back in the game and we win game six. We get to Phoenix for game seven. And... Piercey puts on a goaltending performance that I've never seen before. Like, I mean, it was truly the most unbelievable, unbelievable goaltending performance I've ever seen. So we win the game in overtime, one nothing. One nothing or two one, Piercey. Ah, uh, one nothing. One nothing in like double or triple overtime, and it's the greatest goaltending performance I've ever seen in my life. And I tell people all the time, like, you can say whatever you want about where certain players were in their careers when you played with them. I tell people all the time, if I was picking one player, just one player that I would that I would want on my team to start a team, I tell them it would be Chris Pronger because he because when we played with Chris Pronger, Chris Pronger would have wanted wanted to Chris Pronger wanted to uh, play an entire game. He he didn't want to come off the. I think he's the only player I've ever played with that could have played an entire game. And I don't know if you agree with that or not, but he'd bitch at at, at, at Jimmy Roberts for taking him off the ice with 20 seconds left on a on a penalty kill, and Jimmy'd go, "What are you screaming at me about?" He'd say, "Why'd you put those two out there?" He said, "You've been out there a minute and 20. That's exactly right. There's another 40 seconds left on this damn power play." So. You know, but I've never seen a goaltending performance in all the years that I played like Piercy put on that night. So, uh, and I've talked to Wayne about it, and, and he just said, hey, buddy, when the chips were down, that's the guy you wanted in the net. So I'm glad I got to do this little segment thing with Piercy because there's more people that should know that story. Fierzy, did you, you know, I mean, Kelly Chase had a, those are difficult jobs, and man, there wasn't a guy that probably did it better in the league as far as trying to protect all the stars on the Blues. When you were there, how much did you kind of, 
No, I'm not. Notice is the wrong, wrong phrasing. But man, oh man, it's a tough job, and he did it to a T. That is longtime NHL enforcer Kelly Chase. Uh, we'll check in with some more from Chaser here just after the break. Uh, Kelly Chase brought to you by Snow Valley Ski Club. Uh, make sure to book your kids 5 to 12 years old in one of their holiday camps running throughout the entire Christmas school break. Uh, visit snowvalley.ca for details. Uh, we'll be back just after the break with more Kelly Chase here on the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440. Welcome back to the Kevin Carey Show here on Sports 1440. Best of edition of uh, the Kevin Carey's program. Brandon Douglas sitting in for Kevin, uh, enjoying an extra day off, uh, spending some time with his family over the holidays here. Kevin will be back tomorrow and Friday as we uh, resume NHL action. Uh, Oilers back in action tomorrow and a couple games over the weekend. But in the meantime, we will continue to roll through our, uh, our best of interviews, uh, wrapping up the second half of our sit-down with longtime NHL enforcer, Kelly Chase. No, pound for pound, there's nobody tougher. But also the understanding of the game. He knew when to do it, if he had to do it, and not afraid of anybody. And I, Even in the game today, there's teams that they know they have to have that guy. And we were pretty fortunate. We had Kelly, we had Tony Twist. I mean, we could, we could play any style of hockey that anybody wanted to play. And it was no different than what we had in Edmonton. If the game got nasty, we had guys that could play nasty. And the fun part with Chaser and Twister running around is there was nobody nastier. So it kept, it let our skill players be skill players. And I think you could still have that in the game today because it frees your best players up to just play. You don't have to see them in the scrums. You don't see anybody taking advantage of them. And that was a lot of why our guys like Prongs didn't have to fight. Al McKinnis didn't have to fight is Chaser and Twister did all the heavy lifting. Chaser, what was it like with Twister, the two of you? Because, again, that was a pretty potent one-two puncher. Oh, they used to joke about it in the locker room and call it the race for Chase <laughs> because nobody wanted to fight with Twist, and they come charging after me, you know. But but the funny thing about it is, is Twister really was, you know, that was a lot of... You know, when they brought us there, they told us, "Look, we're getting pushed around in Detroit and and in Minnesota, and and we're and it's going to stop." And we were twenty year old, nineteen year old kids, and we said, "Okay, no problem." And you know, kind of, that's where we took it from. You know, the funny, I got to tell you, uh, we had that team. We we you know, you could talk about the heavy lifting and about whatever, but at the end of the day. We just had a really good group, and we were. And you know, you look back on teams, you go, "Man, I, I wonder if that was an opportunity that we missed winning mm-hmm. a cup." And that's definitely the team that I look at and go, "God, what a missed opportunity to win a cup!" Because we, we really, really, you have a lot of things go right, but God, we were good, and mm-hmm. we were just so mean. And and the best part about it is Joel Quenville, you know, who, and by the way. I don't. I don't care who I offend. Joel Quinville should be coaching in the NHL right now. That's ridiculous that that he's not. But anyway, that's a whole different sidebar. He's the best <laughs> coach I've ever had, and he turned to us when we were when we were together and said, "Listen, I don't know how to do what you do. I don't understand it, mm-hmm. but I understand the need for it, and I understand." It. He goes, "So when you two guys need, if you think you need to do something." and go out and do something to help this team be better, 
then you just tell me and I'll put you on the ice. I, I, I have to ask you guys not to embarrass yourself. You can't embarrass your family and you can't embarrass the organization. Those are the three things. If you guys feel like there's a need for you, I don't understand the timing of it or when you understand it much better than me. Just tell me and I will accommodate what you guys think as long as it makes sense to me. And uh, there was a story of Darian Hatcher beating the hell out of Hully. And uh, he... He just kept pounding on him, you know, and Darian was such a big, strong, tough guy, and he would just say to me, yeah, you're not even going to get on the ice when I'm out there. You're going to get on the ice when you're out there. And I was telling Twister, I'm, I'm getting fed up with this Hatcher. I've, I've had it with him. He's not going to fight with me. So I'm standing in front of their bench, and I'm saying to them, like, I'm, I'm, I've just about had it with Hatcher. And I said, just keep it up. I said, Madonna or Benoit Hogue are going to get it. One of the two of them are going to get it. And... uh <laughs> it's just barking back at me. You're not even going to get in the ice when they're out there. And he's barking at me, you know, that little squeaky voice. Yeah. That and uh, we got, so the TV timeout's over, and out goes Madano and Hogue. And I turned around to Quenville and said, you know, now would be a good time for you to put Twister and I out there. <laughs> and he just turned around, he just tapped us on the shoulder and said, go ahead. Like, okay, no problem. And uh, we went out on the ice and... Uh, Twister stirred up a little shit when Fierzy uh, <laughs> throws the puck right away, and and uh, Twister got the linesman a little preoccupied, and I pulled Benoit Hogue out of that. And the funny thing is, um, uh, uh, Mikey Madonna, who I love, the guy, and played junior against him in Saskatoon, and then he was in PA, and I said, oh, we're going to the faceoff, and he came right beside me, he goes, Chaser, leave me the F alone. <laughs> Okay, please. He knew I was serious. So I pulled Benoit Hogue out of that pile, and I think Benny ended up with a broken jaw or cheekbone or something. Anyways, it was their second leading scorer, and Hitch was furious, and one of the reporters from Dallas was furious with me. And he kept poking me at the end of the game, poking me. And I remember Joel waiting for me as I was coming off the ice after we won the game, and he goes, now you be careful what you say and don't embarrass the organization. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I... I said in the interview, what I got? Why do you got to keep asking me the same questions for? You're looking for a different answer. That if you really want to point at somebody and blame somebody, blame Darian Hatcher. He's been beating on Brett Hall every game for two years with an aluminum stick, and I'm getting tired of it. And the next time it happens, it probably won't be Benny. It'll probably be someone like Mike. But I'm just getting tired of it. And it and and, and everyone kind of stopped and looked back. So of course they. They had put it in the paper, and then when we got to uh, Dallas the next game, uh, sure enough, uh, Hatch came after me to fight with me, and he fought with me, and and uh, that's when it all ended on the beating on Hall and the beating on, on Madano, and it stopped. But if you tried to ask somebody that, you know, what's that What's that donkey there that uh, writes for the hockey news uh What's his last name? Which one? Campbell. Uh, Ken Campbell. Okay, yeah. Right? So this this guy, this guy has done nothing but berate hockey players that play with a physical presence. And I'm going to tell you guys something right now. If I was a hockey player right now, 
I 100% would be playing physical. I 100% would be showing the scouts that I w- I'm not afraid to fight. I would 100% be playing with a physical presence because anybody that can do that right now in this league and still has the fortitude to do it is a commodity. Hmm. There's not a team in the league that would not take Tom Wilson on their team. And he's he's made himself a player. He, Ryan Reeves is like 34 or 5 years old. He's got a three-year contract. Like, if you're sitting at home or you're actually, you know, you have some of these analytics guys doing some analytics, see what the analytics are on guys that actually want to play like that and how, how important they are right now. You're a commodity if you do that. You, you literally, you are. And, and so... Uh, man, if I was if I had a chance to do that again, oh. Well, we talked about a chaser with the Oilers game last night with what happened kind of in the third period. I'm not sure if you watched the game, but I think a lot of people would have liked to see a little more response. How's that sound? Bite. We'd like, like to, to see a little more bite. bite. We're all so scared to say something up there. Like, we're all scared to say, oh, you can't say fight or you can't encourage it. We're raising the biggest group of of soft people that's ever been any in any generation. Because <laughs> people are afraid to say it. And oh, especially I've noticed awesome. in Canada. I'm a proud Canadian. And I, I see some of these guys talk, oh you can't say that and oh you got it. You can be be careful because you know she's in the room where he's in well if we're gonna actually be honest, the honest thing is is that we better start toughening up a little bit and toughening our kids up or we're in big trouble. Kevin Carey is Grant Fuhr along with Kelly Chase Sports 1440. Um, Kelly, I wanted to kind of selfishly ask a question because you did bring up the Saskatoon Blades. wonder why the three years that you played there, you guys had phenomenal teams, but for some reason just couldn't make that extra step in the playoffs. Can you explain why with all the guys? Like you had Volhofer, Matichuk, De Palma, all these guys were great, great junior players. Well, those guys were great players, certainly, but the year after that was the time when we should have won. But Medicine Hat beat us in seven games, and they won the Cup. Mm-hmm. And they did it twice in a row. Uh, and so for us, we were like, we, you know, we couldn't. We, they had a little help from the uh, Commissioner Ed Chanel the one year, and then after that, because uh, the son was on the other team, and I liked Dean. But and then uh, the second year, we had Chevelde and Lasician, and then Grand Cristo yeah. go down just before the playoffs. But no, we had a heck of a team, and honestly, it was a lot of fun playing with that group. It's funny though; I do have to t- tell you something funny. Is I was listening to, uh, oh God. Uh, Jimmy McKenzie doing some podcast or some interview or something, and he said, uh, they asked him about Saskatoon, and he said, uh, he said, that wasn't a hockey team, that was a work release program. <laughs> and I, I had to get a chuckle out of that. That's <laughs> oh, true. You guys, there was a tough team for sure. Marcel Como was coaching. And... Yeah. Yeah. Barry Melrose said uh, one time when we were playing Madison Hat, we had a line brawl, and there was. Uh, I think twist myself, Clark Kosher, and Dean Holine out on the ice, and and uh, I don't know who Medicine had. We were down seven to two, and we had a line brought in the, end of the game. And the reporter asked me and said, "Well, like you know, Marcel sent me sent us out to fight." And we said, "Marcel Como has never one time ever sent any of us out to fight. If we fought, it's because we fought. It was it had nothing to do with our coach 
Hey Kelly, do you do you um, go ahead? Sorry, Barry Melrose. Yeah, well, another Calvington guy. Barry Melrose. Yeah, Barry Melrose said those kids have all grown up in the same town I'm from. He said they didn't send them out there to tie the game up. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you think that? You know, even so, like, uh, you know, 25 years ago, you're playing with Grant Fear. You did color for many years with the Blues after you finished. And now Grant Fear is doing yeah. color with Coachella Valley. What would have, yeah. if someone would have told you that 27 years ago, what would you have said? No. <laughs> I would have said no. I would have figured he wouldn't do it just because he'd be golfing. <laughs> but but honest to God, honest to God, he's like got the perfect personality i've never honest with god i have never ever ever heard of him offending somebody now I, now i'm i'm people are oh no um well twitter i might have offended the odd person yeah, there's a few twitter comments for sure fierzy oh yeah well you know what but i mean look at these clowns like you don't even read that stuff. like yeah. that doesn't count yeah. I, I mean you know like I'm talking about, you know, honest integrity and the way he's carried himself and the amount of people that he's done so many things for and made feel so good. And I'm not talking about former players. I'm talking about the, what he's done with charities and with kids and with the Community Cancer Foundation in, in Coeur d'Alene and, and that in that western district of, of the West Coast and, and the kids at games in St. Louis. Grand Fury comes to St. Louis. He could have whatever he wanted. I mean, and that, and I'm not kidding you because there, there's people that just don't do not forget, uh, you know what he's about and and the kind of and the way he treated people here. So, and I'm not, and I'm again, I told you I would come on and do anything for him because, mm-hmm. because 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 there are certain people that you play with that you get a that just treat you the right way and treat everyone the same, and and Grant's one of them. So, you know. Uh, the demeanor of him, you know, if he says something and it's a little bit like it's walking on the line one way or another, you ought to consider it might have some truth to it because he very rarely uh, gets to that point. You know, Gretzel stays Switzerland all the time. <laughs> but you get, you get, Jersey says something to you that you should, that's maybe not in the context that everyone believes. And I can tell you. He's probably saying something for a reason because there's somebody that needs to understand that there's something not right in the state of Denmark. Well, you know what, Chaser? We took way too much of your time, and, uh, man, love the stories. And just thanks for coming on. Maybe we can do this again, do part two with uh, Fierzy, talk about some old times and and things a little more with the St. Louis run and things like that. How's that sound? Anytime for the goer. See ya. Thanks, Kelly. Hey, sir. Always a pleasure, pal. That was longtime NHL enforcer Kelly Chase, uh, who joined Grant and Kevin back in November for a uh, extensive interview. Uh, so much so couldn't uh, couldn't chop it up. Too many good parts to cut out, so we uh, divvied it up into two pieces here in the nine o'clock hour. Coming up at the top of the ten o'clock hour, we'll hear from former Edmonton Oiler and the other half of the Spit and Chicklets podcast, uh, Ryan Whitney. We heard from Biz. Earlier on in the program with his former teammate Schlemmer. Now we will hear from uh, the Wit Dog with his former teammate here in Edmonton, Lattice Slav Schmid. But before that, let's get to a Sports 1440 update.